0: Welcome back, journeyers. This week, we return with Mike, Steve, and Bear and see what gifts Xylon has for the boys for saving his life. Now, back to the story. Chapter 30 Steve stared at the brightest stars he had ever seen. Bear had suggested that they forego the tent and sleep under the night sky. And Steve was glad he did. Earlier in the day he had found a gold coin and now rolled it along the backs of his fingers. He could smell the coin, as well as the lump of coal in his pack that now served as his pillow. It was like metallic honeysuckle. He also knew that below him, perhaps thirty feet underground, was a limestone deposit and a vein of copper that was thick as Bear's arm. There was gold down there too, but not enough to make it worth the effort of digging it out. There was something else, something that smelled sweet, pure, and hard. He thought he might know what it was, but he wasn't sure. If only he had a backhoe, he could find out. He could also smell the iron and barren Michael's blood. It was strangely acidic, wet, and alive. He thought he might vomit at the sight of it now. He stared at the stars and wondered what aromas they held. Are you going to do that all night? Mike's voice smiled in the darkness next to him. It sounds like you're trying to suck your nose into your face. It can't be any worse than Bear's snoring, Steve said. Bear, Bear, I'm making fun of you and you're not paying attention. That's just plain rude. I'm listening to the earth breathe. Can you hear Abel's blood? Michael asked urgently. What? Steve wasn't sure he heard his friend right. Cain and Abel, Mike whispered. Cain kills Abel, and God tells him that his brother's blood cries out from the ground. And I just thought, he shuffled. I mean, you can smell gold. Maybe Bear can, I don't know, never mind. He's right, Steve thought. Something was happening to Bear, and me too. And who knows what we'll be able to do next. You guys ever heard of East of Eden? Mike was on a roll tonight. Nice segue, Steve teased. There's a part where these guys are talking about God kicking Cain out of the Garden of Eden, where God tells Cain that sin is crouching at his door, but he needs to rule over it. They discuss the original word, Timshel, and it means you may, or thou mayest rule over sin. It's about choice. It's... Not an order, but a possibility. Mr. Smith talked about it in English last semester. It it sort of stuck with me. I'm not quite following your train of thought there, Mikey. I'm getting to it. The main character, Cal. Well, his mom was a monster. She murdered her parents, burned people alive, a whole bunch of stuff. My point is, Cal thought that since his mom, Mike, yeah, you're not a monster. You are not your parents. Your dad is an abusive asshole. And your mom is hateful. They are the monsters. I've I've just been getting pissed all the time. And I thought, seriously, you're nothing like them. Do I look like a guy who would be best friends with an asshole? You're a good person, Michael, Bear rumbled. Having a temper doesn't make you a bad person. It's what you do with it. You're right. It's about choice. Thanks, guys. Yeah, that's what friends are for, Steve said. We help each other and then point and laugh when one of us falls on their face. They laughed, probably a bit too loud because it drew a sharp shush from one of the tents. Steve knew to whom that hiss belonged to and started humming two little lovebirds sitting in a tree, but not too loud that she would hear. Well, Come to think of it, there was no way she would even know what that song meant. Steve's left arm refused to move. Zylon had smacked it, literally senseless, with a wooden sword. He tried to explain to the useless appendage that the pointy-eared maniac was going to bash in his head, but it refused to budge. He even begged a little. Nope. So Steve did the only thing he could think of. He dropped on his back and thrust his feet out. Steve prided himself on his timing, and, as always, it was impeccable. His feet caught the charging Hyperborean dead center. Zylon was flung into the air, and Steve took great satisfaction from his shocked expression as he sailed over him. Zylon rolled in mid-flight and landed lightly onto his feet. He stuck the sword in the ground and began to bellow laughter. Steve laughed, too, as he climbed to his feet and brushed the dirt and sweat from his eyes. I don't know if it'll work in battle, Zylon stated, but it shows you can think fast and that'll save your life many times over. Thanks. Can you fix my arm now? It's only stunned. There are points in the body that if you strike properly, you can disable your opponent. It'll wear off in a little while. Perhaps you can get one of your maidens to rub it out for you. He pulled his weapon free from the earth. All of you must learn this lesson. Precision is greater than brute force. Read. Mike stepped up and stood at attention with his staff in hand. He seemed relaxed enough, to the common observer, but Steve knew better. Never take your eyes off your opponent, Zylon said to Steve and lunged for Mike. Mike moved as if he saw the blow coming from a mile away, which Steve figured he did, but he overcommitted with the block. Zylon spun away from the block, leaving Mike off balance. Zylon continued his spin to strike Mike at the back of the neck. Rather than fight his own momentum, Mike rolled as Zylon's sword cut the air where he had been. The familiar clack, clack, clack of wood and grunts of the two filled the air. Michael was sweating and had a pinched look on his face. Zylon just smiled. You're not quick enough. He goaded and struck Mike on the knees with a loud crack. Michael thrust with his bow and caught Zylon in the gut. But Zylon struck Michael's fingers and he cursed in pain. The wooden sword looked alive in Zylon's hands. It struck like a serpent several times in rapid succession. Shoulder, ankle, chest. The Hyperborean started to punctuate each strike with an insult. You're not smart enough. You're not strong enough. Not good enough. Michael's cheek started bleeding. You're a disappointment. Zylon's foot caught Mike just above his left eye, splitting the skin. Mike's head snapped back, and he just stood there. He reached up and touched his eye and pulled back bloody fingers. He looked at the blood and roared. Steve had never heard a sound like that come from his friend. Or anyone, for that matter. It was hatred and rage and something else. Anguish? Mike flexed, and the two-inch-thick bow snapped in half. He charged. Zylon leapt back and struck with his sword, but Mike ignored the blow. He grabbed the sword and kicked Xylon in the chest so hard it caused him to fly back five feet. Mike screamed and rushed towards his enemy. Bear and Steve jumped between the two to stop Mike before he could do any real damage. Mike was strong, too strong, Steve thought. He could even see Bear having difficulty keeping him at bay. Mike! Mikey! Calm down! Steve shouted. Mike's throat was quartered with strain, and he tried to lunge again when Xylon approached. Maybe now's not the best time, Steve grunted, holding Michael. The big hyperborean snaked his hand around Mike's neck and pressed their foreheads together. Peace, son. Peace. Michael went limp, and the three of them gently lowered him to the ground. The four of them sat in silence as Michael wept among the blood, the dirt, and the sweat. Mike stood and stepped back. I'm okay. Steve could see his friend again. The slightly hunched shoulder, the tender look, and the wry smile that, even though he never noticed, drove the girls back home crazy. Mike sniffed and wiped at his face with all the grace that a teenage boy could muster. The gray-haired Hyperborean stood without a word and walked away. Dude, it was the only thing Steve could think of to say. I know, I'm sorry. Michael watched Cylon go. Do you see what I mean now? Michael looked defeated, and Steve didn't like it. One of Steve's favorite things about Mike was his air of intensity. True, he could be moody, and he really did have that whole rebel without a cause thing working for him. But now his friend looked tired and beaten. Total berserker rage. Yeah, Mike said. Xylon returned with two weapons and something long wrapped in a cloth. You three seem capable enough, but one day you're going to find yourself in a real fight. And when you do, you're going to need something more than just sticks and stones. He was either brave or foolhardy to talk about spears and slings like that with Keneas in earshot, Steve figured. But a quick look over his shoulder showed that their trainer wasn't around. Maybe Xylon wasn't so dense after all. Pay attention, Steve boss. A chair is as good as a weapon if someone possesses the skill and the will to use it, but the will is the most important. Your weapons are well made, and if you could not handle them, I probably would not be here. But that stick you're using, Steve Voss, is getting too small for you. If you trusted yourself enough to put some real strength behind it, it would shatter, and then where would you be? I gathered these from the fallen when your party saved me. Now, this is not Odin's eye, but it's good dryad stock and a sound stone. Xylon handed Steve a hammer with a wooden handle as long as his arm. Its head was a large black rectangular stone that was banded with two strips of metal. Steve hefted the weapon, testing its weight. Now that's what I'm talking about. This baby can do some serious damage. What do you guys think? Plus two, minus one for defense? He laughed and gave it a swing. It felt good in his hand. The weight of the stone pulled at his arm in a comfortable way. Xylon was right. The stone was sound. It was jet black with a glossy polish. The smell of wet earth wafted from the black rock. He looked into the stone and saw no flaws throughout it. He stopped. How had he done that? Nerd, Michael quipped. Next, Xylon handed Bear a thick staff with a wicked curved blade at one end and a spike protruding from the back of it. This Vouge is for you, Lestrogon Bear. I know your people don't hold much worth in such things, but I fear that time will prove a need for it. And you, Zylon, stepped up to Mike and placed a hand on his bloody, grimy cheek. I did not know. I suspected, but I did not know. You understand. Michael nodded. The Hyperborean unwrapped the last bundle to reveal a sword. He slid it free of its sheath of wood and leather. The double-edged weapon was bright. Steve came from a world of steel, glass, and plastic, but here most things were wood, stone, and leather. The weapon was the largest piece of metal that he had seen since coming here, and it shone like the sun. The sword was perfect. The blade was comprised of the purest steel with traces of carbon so perfectly dispersed that Steve could barely sense them. Three fullers ran down the length of the steel, the middle deeper than the two accompanying it. The pommel of the single-handed hilt was composed of iron with a small stone embedded in its center. The stone was the size of a dime, and Steve's fingers itched to touch it. He didn't know what it was, but it smelled sweeter than gold. It gave off an aroma of vast emptiness. The word "Ufbert." was inlaid along the base of the steel. Nice! Sword! Steve breathed. It was the most beautiful work of art he had ever seen. Zylon looked directly into Michael's eyes. Men have always made the best weapons. They have a knack for making things for killing. Mike's hand closed around the hilt, and he froze. An indecipherable look passed over his face. And then he relaxed. Steve could count on one hand how many times he'd seen Mike peaceful. It looked good on him. Yes, Mike smiled. I understand. He sheathed the sword as if he had been doing it his whole life. Thank you, Zylon. Zylon grunted. I'm glad to be rid of it. It talks too much. Remember, Caneas has allowed me to train you in the evening. She will still train you in the morning. Thanks, Steve said sardonically. No, thank you, Zylon laughed. You have no idea how bored I've been. Chapter 31 Michael was getting more than a little tired of Steve's laughter. Give it a rest. His friend wiped a tear from his eye as his guffaws diminished into an annoying chuckle. I can't believe you stabbed yourself in the foot. I barely nicked my toe. Michael snapped back without any real conviction. I don't know what's funnier. You stabbing yourself or Canaeus wrestling you to the ground. (laughs) She pulled off your boot. Dear Lord, it was hilarious. Wrestling? More like manhandling, Mike thought. The short dryad was as strong as she looked. When he refused to show her the injury, she had tossed him to the ground with one hand and ripped off his boot with the other. She'd been more furious with him when it turned out to be just a nick. She threw the boot at him and stomped away, grumbling about the stupidity of males, pointy ears or not. Michael felt lousy. He hadn't meant to make Canaeus mad, and he tried to weather the humiliation with good grace. Despite her rantings, he knew he had scared her and that her anger was fueled by concern. Jack's outbursts were nothing like that. Michael suspected his parent truly hated him, Canaeus was mad because he scared her. Jack was mad because Michael ruined his good times by being born. He would have to make it up to his instructors somehow. He had hoped Zoe would give him some advice, but when he caught her eye, she shook her head in disappointment and booted her horse to the head of the group. For some reason, that cut him deeper than any of Steve's jibes. We're near a city, Bear said. Michael was too surprised to react. Given his size, he couldn't understand how Bear could slip up on him so quietly. His friend was almost unrecognizable. His beard had not gotten longer, just thicker, something Michael didn't think was possible. Now it almost obscured his face. He'd also put on what looked like several pounds of muscle since leaving the tree. If Michael met his friend in a dark alley now, he would turn and run. Especially if Bear was carrying that vicious-looking spear that he used as a walking stick. "'Aren't you tired of walking?' Bear shrugged. "'I like the feel of the ground.' His friend had also stopped wearing boots. Michael had never seen such hairy feet. "'How do you know there's a city around?' "'I can hear it. No?' "'It's more like I can feel it. There's a stone road to the left of us on the other side of that hill. We've been traveling parallel to it for several days.' It feels like a gouge in the earth. Bear, is everything all right? His friend suddenly seemed very foreign to him. Yes, and I will ask to see how you can repair things with Canaeus. The mitaph seemed to like me. He smiled over his shoulder as he quickened his pace. They call me Kotavi. Michael trailed the company, lost in his darkening thoughts. He couldn't seem to get things right. He was always upsetting someone, or making an idiot out of himself. He was sick of himself and sick of constantly seeing eyes full of judgment. Could he really blame Vicky for dumping him? His face started to burn, and his hand drifted to the sword hilt at his side. The handle felt cool and... and comforting. He wanted to draw the sword and examine it some more, but thought better of it. He had already caused enough excitement for one day. It was enough to lay his hand on the hilt. He had to wait to apologize to canaeus and she would understand. The metal was too hot to strike now. When she cooled, he would approach. He would have to hammer out an apology. If he used the precise words to convey his regret, he knew all would be well. It was better that Vicky had left. She was brittle. He could see that now. And brittle things break and leave sharp edges. It was better that it was over before he was in a situation where he needed her to be strong. Now, Zoe... Zoe was hard and difficult work. Good stock. It would take a very hot fire to melt her. Michael reined in his horse. The company stopped as Zoe addressed them. The sun caught her red hair and made it blaze like a furnace. We can no longer avoid the Hyperboreans. I have kept us in the forest and the foothills, but now I have no choice but to use their road she said the word with contempt. The treaty holds, but be wary. We are strangers here and must watch our step. She turned her mount to the direction Bear had said the road laid. The procession followed, except for Leander, who waited for Michael to catch up. Michael grimaced. Leander was nice enough. He had bonded with Michael for some reason, and now he was always engaging him in conversation. Not only was it difficult to keep his true origins a secret, Michael found the only way to keep Leander in the dark was to keep asking him about his religion. But all his bellyaching about sin was becoming tiresome. How is your foot? Leander asked. Michael shrugged. It's only a scratch. It was my fault. I was trying to twirl it and lost my grip. The blade went between my toes. I was lucky, I guess. He was tired of talking about a stupid injury. Are you glad to be returning to civilization? Yes and no. It'll be good to meditate and pray at the temple, but I am not good with people. You don't say, Michael raised an eyebrow. Sadly, it is the case. I have found people do not like to hear the truth about themselves or their fallen nature. Did you know Zylon actually threatened to tie me to a tree and leave me there when he first met? You can commune with nature while the birds peck out your eyes. His impression of Zylon was perfect. It's refreshing to have someone to talk to about my beliefs. Lucky me, Michael thought. If not for bear telling him, Michael would have had no idea they were so close to the road. As far as he could tell, they were deep in the forest, miles from any civilization. They had not traveled more than 25 feet before they broke into a clearing. The road was wider and straighter than he would have imagined, with an extensive swath on either side. "'cleared of bushes and trees. "'That must have taken a very long time to build,' Michael said. "'Leander nodded. "'Years, and with the lives of many slaves.' "'Slaves? "'Mostly debtors in one fashion or another. "'The king will pay off the debt that is owed, "'and then the slave is freed when the debt is paid back to the king.' "'Leander lowered his voice. "'I was told that some Mettaf were captured "'and taken as slaves during the war.' but they do not do well when they are forced from their trees. Some even died in captivity before the treaty was forged. The more Michael learned about these people, the more he disliked them. The road was very impressive, and a testament to their ingenuity. But Bear had been right. It was like a scar. How many trees had been slaughtered so these people could travel with ease? It reminded him of home, and he hated it. It might take longer, but they eventually destroy the beauty of this land for their own comfort. The thought of Zoe being a slave burned him to his core. I am surprised your cheek has not healed yet, Leander said when Michael roughly wiped at his face. It's a condition. He took a deep breath and placed his hand on the hilt of his sword. You do not approve of slaves? Leander asked as a soft thud of hooves became harsh clacks against the stone road. No. My country fought a great war with itself to free slaves. Even now, two hundred years later, people still treat them as secondary citizens. Even though they are given rights and equality through the law, how can they ever truly be free if they're not accepted as equals by their fellow citizens? But without a slave force, how do you build things? Leander looked puzzled. We employ people to build things. Sometimes our government pays them, and sometimes paid for by private citizens. We also have machines that help us do a lot of work with only a few people. Machines? Like a watermill. Yes. Why don't you tell him about nuclear power next time? Excuse me, Leander. I have to take care of something. He nudged his horse faster before the monk could reply. He needed to talk to Kenea sooner or later and it was a good excuse to get away from Leander. He stiffened his back and approached his dryad teacher. Your friends have already approached me separately on your behalf, first Kotiva, and then the lectok To inspire such loyalty is a merit, she said without making eye contact. I am grateful, but they should let me fight my own battles. Battles are never fought alone. Your allies are either by your side or you carry them with you. No one has ever fought alone. She spoke with ferocity and looked at him as if she meant to stab the meaning into his head. I understand. I apologize for my foolishness and stupidity. Next time I'll tie your hair in ponytails. If you want to act like a child, I'll dress you like one. Perhaps a skirt, too. You have nice ankles. It was her wicked smile that brought the message home to Michael. Not only would she enforce her threat, but she would enjoy doing it. They rode for an hour in silence, something for which Micah was grateful. They passed small farms and vineyards, gathering strange looks from residents. Farmers would stop their work, wipe their brow, and look at the procession curiously for a moment before returning to their fields or fence mending or one of the countless duties that entailed the upkeep of a farm. Once, a group of children ran down a small dirt road that led to an adobe building and got within a stone's throw away before a scream brought them up short. The outburst had come from a woman barreling down the road after them. If that wasn't a terrified mother, then Michael would eat his boot. It was not until they crossed a small stone bridge that he broke the silence. A Hyperborean sat on the bank among the reeds as he watched the creek flow past. I could spend some time like that, just sitting there, watching the world go by. Michael said. "Canaeus snorted. That man is a criminal. He is forced to spend his days tending the reeds. Only people who are considered both harmless and worthless are given that sentence. Zylon chuckled behind him. They're called reed keepers. Son of a bitch. His so-called friend, Steve, laughed so hard that he fell off his horse. That's all for this week, journeyers. Next week, we return to Heather, Ken, and Stacy as they enter into a Hyperborean city for the first time, and we see what perils await them. As always, thank you for listening, and be good to one another.